Notice how agility was demonstrated as I came up those steps. <laughs> well, isn't this a wonderful day? We have folks that have come back from doing ministry for the Lord. And, uh, you know, Gordon and Sue have been going about, been around 30 years, Russia and Ukraine. And when Gordon and I were first going, the, uh, there were a lot of people that were going there for ministry. Now almost no one goes, but Gordon and Sue have been faithful to continue. Ray, how many years have you been to Pakistan? How long ago did you start? I remember first time I met you, I think that's what you were doing. Sir? 2,000 years? <laughs> long time ago, that's right. And then the, the Haiti team, you know, it's interesting, on this weekend, we have a lot of folks that have gone somewhere, but we have some that are back, and what a wonderful thing it is to be together. Tuesday afternoon was an interesting day. We're at that time of year that those of us who are on Medicare are harassed by uh, robocalls. <laughs> I'm sure you've had the same experience I have. Sometimes I even get a call at night after I'm falling asleep, uh, somebody wanting to sell me some kind of plan to go with my Medicare. Now these always, almost always come on my home phone, and I have caller ID, and I usually don't even answer because I don't know who that is. Very, very, very rarely will I get a call on my cell phone. Tuesday afternoon, seeking to hear from God concerning the word that he want, wanted brought today, I came into the auditorium and knelt over here with my face in the carpet and began to seek the Lord for what word he would have me brought today, have me bring today. And I and, uh, <laughs> hadn't been praying very long until my cell phone rang. And of all things, it was one of those robocalls. I stuck the phone back in my pocket somewhat irritated. <laughs> but then God said to me, that's your sermon Sunday. What? <laughs> yes, I want you to talk about the divine eternal insurance company. <laughs> so, here we are. That's what we'll talk about today. Some of you, probably none of you know that in 1962, I became a licensed insurance agent in the state of Oklahoma. And uh, in order to get the license, I had to spend quite a bit of time studying the insurance business, how assets, liabilities work, and also something of the banking business because it was a part of that, same patterns. Interesting material and uh, something, of course, it's a part of my past, no longer here. But think about the business of the divine eternal insurance company. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Company, its benefits, how its premiums are paid. <laughs> Certain caveats that apply to the policy of the divine, eternal insurance company. In Psalm 103, David wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. But you know, the benefits that he had were benefits of an outdated policy. The benefits we have and the policy we have today far exceed any benefits that David ever had. 
And we want to talk about some of those this morning. Matter of fact, Paul in Galatians 5.1 talks about the insurance policy David had, the old law. And, and he said, that really is a yoke of slavery. The law, which is what David had in his day as he praised God for his benefits. Let's think about our policy and uh, what we have as a result. First thing we want to think about is what kind of a rating would the eternal divine insurance company receive? There are four companies that rate insurance companies, AM Best, Fitch, Moody's, Standard and Poor's, and they evaluate insurance companies based on are their assets strong enough to handle any liabilities, they study how well they've handled claims, and they rate insurance companies from A, B, C, and D, and sometimes an insurance company is so outstanding it will actually get an A+. Plus. An A+, plus. astounding to think about. But the divine insurance company, as we start to study its operation, its assets, and how well it handles things, we have to say it gets a triple, perhaps a quadruple A+. Plus. And why? But one thing is because the assets are so secure, because the divine, eternal insurance company is God himself. The God who can say, as he said through the psalmist, all the beasts of the field are mine, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. As he said through the prophet Haggai, all the gold and silver is mine, saith the Lord. The God of whom, as is said of Jesus, he upholds all things by the word of his power, the whole universe is held up by the word of his power. This is the one of whom the Hebrews, Epistle of Hebrews says the same yesterday, today, and forever. Assets that are not at risk and guaranteed by a God who keeps his word. Paul, writing to Titus, said he is the God who cannot lie. And James said, the Father, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father on high, Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, God is faithful. He is faithful who calls, and he will bring it to pass. The divine God who really is the guarantor of his own insurance company is all-powerful, possesses everything, and keeps his word. Praise be his name. So what are the benefits? You know, if, if there are no benefits, why even have an insurance policy? And it's important that the benefits be clearly spelled out in the policy so there can be no ambiguity and no kinds of questions. What are the benefits offered in the policy of the divine eternal insurance company? First, let's think about death benefits. Any kind of policy offered by a human agency, the death benefits are like this. When you die, if you have a policy, 
your heirs are the beneficiaries. They get what is left as a part of that policy. But just the opposite in the policy offered by the divine eternal insurance company. The one who dies is the one who receives the benefits. And what are those benefits? As we get to the closing two chapters of Revelation, and John has this vision. He's struggling to put into human words what he sees. And he says, I see the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And he hears the voice of God saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the tent of God is among men. He shall dwell among them. They shall be his people. God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Isn't that something to think about? Paul urged us in Romans, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And I think most of us in this church would have to say we're in a season in which we're weeping with a lot of people. I'm not able, the way God has made me, I'm not able to just feel sorry for somebody. And I think that's true with almost all of us here. The Holy Spirit has made us empathetic. And when you hurt, I hurt. And sometimes I have to be honest. There are so many hurts that I have for so many people. I have to cry out to God, oh Lord, please lift the burden. How beautiful it will be when the time comes. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. The former things are passed away. Every tear from our eyes will be dried. What a glorious benefit to think about. A death benefit offered to those of us who have a policy with a divine, eternal insurance company. Not only that, we'll enter the very presence of God. Most of our versions say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The Greek word there is skene, which just means tent. And Jerome translated the Greek into Latin. He naturally used the Latin word for tent, tabernaculum. So today most versions take that instead of just rendering tent. What it's saying is God's going to camp out with us and we're going to be camping out with him. How can you wrap your mind around that? I can't. Paul remembers he is writing to the Philippians. Realizing that death probably was not far in the future for him. He said, I'm torn between two directions. I know it's better for you if I stay behind, but better for me if I go on. He said, I'm torn between the two. He said, for me, it's far better to depart and be with Christ. And of the benefits that are offered to us as a part of the divine, eternal insurance company yes all those other things are wonderful but can you imagine what it will be like to truly dwell for eternity in the presence of god sometimes people say you know will we know each other in heaven 
I hope so. I look forward to seeing my wife. But I've thought about this. I wonder, when I see Jesus Christ, will I be so awed I won't even notice who else is there? (laughs) What a thought to actually see God. When John sees this vision, you will notice how he struggles for human words to describe what he sees. For instance, in verse 21 of chapter 21, he says, The streets are like pure gold, but on the other hand, (laughs) they're transparent like glass. (laughs) He just can't find ways to describe what he sees in that marvelous vision, which says to me there's something ahead of us that is so great that we can't even, as Paul says, God, our scripture says, God is not seen and our ears heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Ah, oh, the death benefits. <laughs> How can we describe that? How can we thank God enough for what's ahead for us? But there are also present benefits. Often as I'm praying in the pre-dawn hours, praying before the Lord, It hits me. How can this great God of the universe even notice that I exist? In a globe occupied by millions of people, how can he even notice Jim Garrett sitting in the dark in the early morning even exists? But he does. Jesus said, Two sparrows are sold for a cent. (laughs) You are more value than many sparrows. There's not a sparrow fall to the ground without your father's knowledge. And you are more value than any sparrow. And the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's every single one. How many hairs, I wonder, if we added all ours together. (laughs) How intimately... The Lord knows us. But then the fact that he knows that I exist. And I'm sure that every minute of every day there are thousands of prayers pouring toward heaven. How can he hear mine? Especially this. So many times when I'm passionately praying alone. There's no sound coming out of my mouth. But it is that passionate, silent prayer in my heart to God. How can he even be aware of that? But Jesus said, go to your closet and pray in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you in secret. And he also said to the intense And thoughts of man's heart are known to God. What a benefit that I can actually approach the God of the universe. He sees me. He knows me. He hears me. And he says, yes, no, maybe wait a while. (laughs) 
because he has purposes often that I don't understand. And sometimes if he said yes to what I was asking for, you know, I can look back, especially when I was a teenager as a Christian, and I'd pray every night before I went to sleep. And I sure thank God he said no to a lot of those prayers. My, what my life would be like if he had said yes, because he loves and knows what's best for me and what will accomplish his purposes. How beautiful that we have prayer as a present benefit. We also have the gift of intercessors. The book of Hebrews describing Jesus Christ says, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now this is something, I don't care how many years I live, how much I study it, I'll never understand it. Here's God the Father, and here's God the Son, who is interceding for me. And then in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Greek there really is alaleo, which means something you can't say. Some people say, well, when I'm groaning. No, not you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it, he, you can't make that sound that he is making in our behalf. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So... When I'm praying, or even when I'm not praying, I assume, <laughs> Jesus Christ is interceding for me before God's throne of grace, and the Holy Spirit is interceding for me even when I'm not aware of it. And that's a part of the benefit. That's one of the benefits of this policy that I possess, a policy with the divine, eternal insurance company not only that a part of the benefit is this i have security because my name is inscribed in the book of life many times in scripture the book of life is mentioned let me read some philippians 4 3 indeed true comrade i ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. Revelation 20:10. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Here it's describing the books that really are the ledger, the journal of everyone's life. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things written in the book according to their deeds. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, speaking of the holy city, 
but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'll tell you a present benefit I have by having a policy with a divine eternal insurance company is my name is inscribed on the rolls of heaven. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. And I have no fear of the day of judgment because heaven is mine. And we have the blessed, unbroken presence of Christ. Remember as Jesus looked at the crowd and his heart was so moved by what he saw. And he said, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon me. He said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is right. Light, And then he said, Him that cometh unto me I will no wise cast out. And then he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in the Great Commission he said, I am with you always. I pondered those verses a bit. What's a yoke? Well, if you're a seamstress, a yoke is the shoulder of a shirt or a coat. <laughs> A yoke is anything that rests upon the shoulders at the level of the neck. I've seen pictures of African slaves in which you can't tell the difference by looking between a slave and one who's free except this. A slave, it looked like a, a fork of a tree around his neck and a leather band in back holding it in place. That was a slave yoke. And so in society, you could look and say, that one's a slave because he's wearing a yoke. Another kind of yoke is a beam that you put across your shoulders, and on each side, there's a bucket, and you can carry two at once. You know, if you've ever tried to carry a five-gallon bucket of sand or a five-gallon bucket of just about anything, it's a struggle. You have to do this and sometimes swing between your legs. But you know, if you have one of those yokes, you can carry two of them, you can carry one. That's a yoke. Another kind of yoke you see is on a beast of, which is pulling a wagon. There will be a collar with reins going back and hitched up to the wagon and pulling it. And then, of course, the yoke of oxen that we so often see where there are two oxen together and a yoke for two of them as they pull. Now, I don't know what kind of yoke Jesus was talking about. Whatever it was, he said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. How many people are trying to carry a heavy yoke? The yoke of addiction to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, pornography, sex, cell phones. Do I dare say that? <laughs> oh, my goodness, they control lives sometimes. But Jesus said, take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a wonderful, wonderful promise. Well, how can we obtain a policy with a divine, eternal 
insurance company. You know, to participate in any kind of an insurance program, somebody has to pay a premium. Either you have to or somebody else pays it for you. Sometimes your employer will do it, but really it's kind of calculated as part of your salary. You know, sometimes a premium is so high you can't pay it. And so you have to live running the risk of living whatever your situation might be without insurance. And you know that's true of the any policy you would seek to obtain from the divine eternal insurance company. You can't pay the premium. It's too high. <laughs> it is just too high. The only one that can pay that premium is a sinless soul. And there's only been one to ever walk upon the earth sinless. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. No human can pay the premium. Revelation chapter 5 verses 2 to 9 is an interesting scene. As John sees the vision, he describes all sorts of creatures in the vision. And there is a scroll. And an angel with a loud voice said, Who is able to break the seal and open the scroll? And there was no one. And John began to weep because no one could open the scroll. And then an angel came to him and said, Don't weep, John. There's one. It is the Lamb of God. Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals. Thou wast slain, didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. As there is only one that could open that seal, there is only one who can pay the premium for us to have a policy with a divine, eternal insurance company. A lot of people try other things, like good works. Okay, if I just do enough good works, it's like, here's my bad deeds, here's my good deeds, and the way I'm going to scale, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, whoopee, I'm in. Not so. <laughs> you can only enter into that relationship if you have a garment that's spotless, and that garment can only be spotless if it's washed by the blood of the Lamb. Writing to those who... Trust good works of the law. Paul wrote this. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Curse is, ev is, is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. That's a, really a picture, isn't it? You make one mistake, it's too late. And everybody makes a mistake. Some people say, well, you know, I give a lot of money to the poor. Uh, that ought to make a difference. Notice what Paul wrote, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished. 
and spotless, the blood of Christ. You can't buy your way unto heaven. In David's time, the policy he had, but a temporary policy, was a policy that required many, many, many blood sacrifices. And so every sin that you committed, you had to bring some kind of an offering. And once a year, there was an offering for the nation just in case we'd committed sin. Have you ever thought about what it, be, what it would have been like to be a priest under the Levitical priesthood? It'd be a pretty bloody business. <laughs> in a way, you'd have to be a butcher <laughs> because of all of the sacrifices you had to handle week by week by week. But that was just a shadow of the true, true, true thing that God was giving us. The book of Hebrews chapter 8, those who offer the gifts according to the law serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Hebrews 10, it is impossible for the, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, all of those things were to prepare people to understand the need for a blood sacrifice, waiting for the one who would really pay the premium, the blood of Jesus, not spilled, but shed upon the cross in our behalf. Hebrews 9, So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await for him. In Hebrews 7, he did once for all when he offered up himself. This morning, you might want to possess a policy in that insurance company, but you're not sure you have one. How can you be sure? The way you can be sure is that you have the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us as God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, a pledge that the promises are ours. To the Ephesians, he wrote, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. That's something to think about, isn't it? Say you're going to buy a house and $140,000, and so you give the owner 5000 and that 5000 guarantees that when the deal is done, he'll get the rest. That 5000 to guarantee. The Holy Spirit you have in you and the Holy Spirit I have in me is God's guarantee that I have a policy with a divine, eternal insurance company. And there's no doubt that this God who is faithful will bring about what he has promised. How do you get the Holy Spirit? 
Well, the answer today is exactly what it was 2,000 years ago when Peter said, Repent, every one of you. Be immersed into Jesus Christ. And be immersed on the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what it means in the name of. For the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, wonderful, sincere people have changed that over the years. But uh, truly, all we can do is speak of what was given by the apostles and consistently practiced by them throughout their ministry. In 1962, September, I was the evangelist for a crusade being held in West Tulsa. I used to preach a lot of revival and evangelistic meetings. This one, usually they're 14 days long, every night for two weeks and during the day out calling. But this meeting was just a weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And the man who led the song service and would preach a, a solo, or rather sing a solo every night before the sermon was a blind man with a beautiful voice. And one night before I stepped to the pulpit, he went to the pulpit to sing. And before he sang, he told a story. He was blind from birth. And as a blind little boy, he learned to navigate things around the house. And then he learned to navigate the yard. And he learned to navigate the barn. He was born on a farm, I think, in Missouri. But what he liked to do most was to wander through the fields, totally free and liberated. But the problem was, between his front yard and the fields, there was a creek. And he could not get close to that creek because he might fall in and drown. But he said from time to time, his father would take his hand and they would walk across the creek. And he could go in those wonderful fields under the watchful eye of his father. I wish I could remember that man's name. I can't. But then he sang the Thomas Ramsey, Charles Durham song, I Won't Have to Cross Jordan Alone. When I come to the river at ending of day, when the last winds of sorrow have blown, there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died for my sins to atone. In the darkness I see someone waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Oft times... I'm forsaken, weary and sad when it seems that my friends are all gone. There's one thought that cheers me and makes my heart glad. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. 
Jesus died for my sins to atone. In the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Though the billows of sorrow and trouble may sweep, Christ the Savior will care for his own. Till the end of the journey, my soul will he keep. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died for my sins to atone. In the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Ten years ago, October 20th, 2008, my wife left my arms to enter the arms of Jesus. That morning, Dr. Allred came in, pulled back the sheet, and looked at her legs and said, She's mottling. She'll die today. Maybe in an hour, maybe this afternoon, she'll die today. Bob and Shirley joined us. And as the time went by and we saw her breathing become more and more shallow, I knelt beside her bed and whispered in her love, left ear over and over again, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Dinah on the other side in her right ear whispering, and Bob and Shirley at the foot of the bed keeping vigil. Suddenly she opened her eyes as if startled and looked to the upper right corner of the room and closed her eyes and she was gone. Barbara, or rather Diana, my daughter, for a number of years was a health care giver for those who were shut in. And usually she was with her clients when they died. And she said to me that day, Dad, I don't know how many times I've seen someone die. And just before they died, not all of them, they suddenly opened their eyes and looked at the right corner of the room. Did they see an angel? Who can say? But how wonderful it is that when that time comes, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Neither do you have to. The arms of Jesus are open to receive you and to give you a policy with a divine, eternal insurance company. All you have to do is to accept his payment of a premium and surrender your life to him and find that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I don't know if there's anyone here who doesn't have that policy. They normally think of this as a believer's service. But if you don't, let me ask you this morning to come and speak to Bill or one of the elders that we might lead you 
into conversion of Christ. And then next Sunday, we'll baptize you into Jesus, and you will receive the Holy Spirit and walk with him, not only in this life, but in eternity. May God be praised.